Peace. Welcome to the Light Bulb Lessons Podcast, where we build with professional leaders who share their organic life lessons. I'm your host, T.O. Clay. My mission is to leverage and extract intellectual perspective, thought-provoking conversation, and real light bulb moment experiences to help others reflect, develop, and grow as people. These lessons are inspired by the priceless moments in life we use to connect the dots and propel ourselves forward along our journey. It's time to turn on the lamp and shine light. Let's get it. Peace, love, and light, family. Again, we're back with another episode. I'm your host, T.O. Clay of Light Bulb Lessons. I always say, you go back and look at any video, listen to any stream, I always say, my goal is to bring on the best leaders that I know. That's my journey. You know, if, if I set out to, to go across the country, if I set out to go overseas, if I'm sitting here at my house, whatever it may be, I'm always thinking about these individuals that I consider Hall of Fame leaders. And today, uh, on this amazing day in January, very cold outside here in Georgia, I got a special gentleman with me today. Um, and, and I'm gonna dive right in as, as a young drone instructor, uh, India Company, Paris Island, South Carolina. Uh, I was a senior drone instructor. So, you know, that means I'm I'm in charge of the rest of the platoon. Uh, for for my family out there that that, that doesn't all, always understand the military jargon, uh, and and outside the the, the famous third battalion squad bay as, as where we house the recruits down there. Uh, there's there's an outside landing, and that particular landing right across from the chow hall, as I was a young, young drone instructor coming up, watching some of the, the heavyweights before me, uh, that was a way of like parading the platoon. They, they would go out there and get, get all the recruits up on this landing up high and everybody walking by, I could see them up there and uh, they would do what we call popping sticks. Uh, and as a senior, I wanted to do all the little things that I saw gentlemen before me do. And, uh, and, and there, there was a, a, a first sergeant leaving from the headquarters building, coming towards us. And I saw the first sergeant. Uh, I continued to do what I was doing with the platoon. Uh, and as the first sergeant got up close, uh, he looked up at me. He said, hey, senior drone strutter, that ain't it. Get him in the house. I said, all right, first sergeant. He carried on. He went on inside to, to the building that he worked out of. And... I had a I had a choice in that moment, you know, for for the young button leaders out there, uh, spread across the the bow wherever you are. Uh, when someone is in charge of you, and they give you an order, uh, you you have a choice. But if it's embedded within you, uh, the ideals, the moral, uh, the expectations associated as that brother, that sisterhood, uh, like we've shared as United States Marines, I knew once I got those recruits in the house. Uh, I wanted to drive that point home. And I, and I told those recruits, hey, you know, straight to the point, hey, that's a first sergeant of the United States Marines. You know, I am a staff sergeant. You understand the rank structure. And when that first sergeant says, hey, we do, we execute and we make it happen based on that specific order. Uh, and that was that. So uh, I, I'd, I'd like to open it up with that. Uh, I have uh, an amazing gentleman here with me gentleman goes by the name uh what we like to call him jp corville uh retired sergeant major uh gentleman that i've always looked up to highly respect uh so again this is like bug lessons you all like like we we bringing it straightforward straight down the pipe so with that being said uh how you feeling today jp hey good tim thank you very much i appreciate it good to see you You're thank you great. you do too um I appreciate that. What a great introduction. It's just the way I wrote yes. it for you. So I appreciate you delivering it that way. That's awesome, <laughs> yeah. What, what a great story. I'll tell you, when I hear you tell that story, I appreciate how mature you were in that moment, but let me tell you how I replay that story now, so many years later, even though I was a first sergeant at the time, and I know you yes. can relate to this. That's just one of those examples of a rule that I had to enforce that I didn't personally agree okay. with because it was a rule that was probably set at the battalion by the current battalion sergeant major at the time, a pet peeve yes. of his. 
and we Absolutely. didn't agree with it. Therefore, we had to enforce it. But I would never enforce something like that as if it wasn't my own rule, something we're taught as a young yeah. NCO, right? That yeah. once you know that this is the rule of the regulation, you have to promote it and force it as <clears> if it were your own. I would never be, at least as an NCO and above, someone that would have made a correction like, hey, the sergeant major doesn't want you doing this, so it'd be best if you get off the That's right. landing. That's not the way we operate as as leaders, whether it's the Marine Corps or in a corporation, you know. So I appreciate you acknowledging that. I remember that vaguely. I remember talking to you that day, but I don't remember what it was about. That's typically what comes to my mind once yes. I hear that story. I mean, it, you know, again, yeah. you know, when you showed up uh, to, to 3rd Battalion, you know, your name preceded just, you know, it preceded you. Um, and, you know, having some good buddies, you know, in the company in which you serve, uh, Mighty Mike Company, shout out to all the Mike Company legends yeah. out there. Um, I haven't said that in a while, by the way. Sounds pretty good. Yeah, sounds pretty good. Sounds good. Hey, it's Yeah, I haven't said it in a while. That's right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it just, again, you know, one thing I can honestly say, we, we as the young hats, you know, we were proud of all the first songs across our, our battalion, man. Like, uh, we knew that, hey, we, we got the, you know, some of the, the best cream in the crop here. Uh, not to take nothing away from any of the other battalions, you know, but if you, if you was the first one down there in that moment, uh, it, it, it says something. So, uh, you know, g- give me a little bit of background on that, man, if, if you don't mind. How, how did you end up getting those orders over the 3rd Battalion? Yeah, that's a great question, Tim. You know, obviously in the Marine Corps, they're called orders for a reason, not requests. Right. And um right. We had a great group of first sergeants, I'll be honest. Before I go into the background of that, during that time of 2006 to 2008, when I was in 3rd Battalion as a first sergeant, we had some of the top-notch first sergeants, and I was the youngest out of all of them. And so I was constantly a sponge, and I learned a lot. And specifically, Bill Sweeney and Doug Berry, who I knew very well, Reg Baker, those are the guys I, I was with. But Bill Sweeney and Doug Berry I had known for quite some time, so... I had a history with them and I always took something from them. They always taught me something and we had a great, a great rapport, but I say that to be contrite in the sense that again, I was the youngest out of the group and I was trying to learn and I was very aggressive, very arrogant in certain situations. Um, But I was respectful and humble to listen to what they had to tell me. And I give them credit. A man like Reg Baker, who was very senior to me, would come to me and tell me, hey, you're doing a great job. I like what you did. Give me an example how you operated this. And he would take a few things from me. So that was very, um, very impressive to me that somebody would do that. But to go back to your question, um, not to make a long story, I was a gunnery sergeant in 3rd Battalion, 4th Marines. I was in the infantry. I just come off three tours to Iraq when it the first 2003 invasion through Fallujah. And I had been the acting first sergeant as a gunnery sergeant, then back to a company gunnery sergeant, which was great for me, then selected first okay. sergeant. And when I talked to my monitor with my battalion sergeant major after I was selected, they gave me some options. And I went in after 24 hours of contemplating my decision to tell them what I wanted out of the three options they gave me. 24 hours later, he told me none of those were available any longer. After 24 hours, I was like, wow. So I was back to the drawing board and he said, um, I'm going to send you to the drill field. We need first sergeants on the drill field. And he said, you can have your choice of where you mm. want to go. Now, I was a drill instructor in San Diego. My okay, first I didn't know that. So, hey, God yeah, bless you, I, brother. God bless you. I didn't yeah. know that. Well, I say, <laughs> I say this with the utmost respect to San Diego. I had a great time. I cut my teeth right. there. I was a 3rd Battalion Mike Company recruit in San okay. Diego. I was a 3rd Battalion Mike Company drill instructor in okay. San Diego. But I did not want to go back to San Diego as a 1st Sergeant if he was sending me to the drill field again as a 1st Sergeant. So I requested Paris Island. Wow. And I tell people this all the time. I even said it at my retirement ceremony that out of all the units I'd been with, my two best top tier units were third battalion, fourth Marines, because that's a unit I served in combat with. And then Paris Island, hands down. And because of people like you and so many drill instructors and being the first sergeant at DI school and so many people that I watched grow from a young sergeant to whatever rank they retired at or got out as 
that was a great place to be for me. And I really didn't take it lightly. Those of you like yourself and so many others that knew me real well, I had learned how to appreciate the moment while yeah. I was there. And I knew that there would be a time where I was the former first sergeant of my company, the former first sergeant of DI school. And so I, because I knew that I was going to embrace and appreciate the time I had. Absolutely, it. Man. Yeah. So that's, that's how amazing, I got bro. I mean, so you, you bleed blue all the way through there. All the way through. through. And, and your opening comments, I really appreciate you saying, you know, Hall of Famer and all that type yeah, of stuff. But listen, I know I wouldn't get a unanimous vote for Hall of Famer across the world in the Marine Corps. Look, I'm, I'm a realist to know that there were a lot of people that believed in what I did, what I said, how I carried myself and what I implemented. Yes. But in, real, in, in reality, out of 10 Marines, I would say probably seven believed in what I was doing, which is a great right. number. Then there was one that was on the fence and two that despised yeah. me pretty much everywhere I went. And those aren't bad odds, but I was a realist to understand that no matter what I did, there would be people that didn't appreciate what I was putting right. forth. And there would be people that did appreciate it. But as long as I was productive and efficient and the fact that we were making ends meet and that I had a great rapport with people to be a mentor and a leader. And this is not to try to get accolades. No, not, this no, is just a reality. It's real. Because we, we know we can't make everyone right. happy. That's right. That's right. a fact, man. I mean, you know, I think that's all of us, JP. Uh, I really do. Like, Absolutely. I, you know, I had a I had a young doe dog that that called me on this past Marine Corps birthday. Um, he called and he's like, "Hey, doe dog, happy birthday or whatever." And I'm like, "Okay, uh, who is this?" But he would never say who he was. Uh, and right. he told me where he was at. He said he was up in Philadelphia. <clears throat> actually at ton tavern you know for, for work. yeah so i was like no dog Man. oh in the right place and all of that good stuff you know yeah. uh but i ended up looking online and he 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 said a name but it, it didn't ring a bell he just said the last name but i ended up looking up uh the name and once i saw his face i knew exactly who he was you know and and the young marine uh, made, made a decision, you know, he, he, he got a tattoo that, you know, obviously wasn't, wasn't authorized at the time. Um, and, you know, obviously was held accountable for it, you know, and, but, but what was said was thank you because you did the right thing. That's what he said to me. He right. said, thank you. You did the right thing. Uh, now, obviously we know, you know, the standards have changed in terms of, you know, tattoos, full sleeves, all of that good stuff. But, Again, uh, you know, there's 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 always those situations, you know, but but bottom line and the way I look at why we're here, man, like Bob lessons is that's that's the lesson. You know, there, there's uh, I'm sure a thousand trillion individuals out there that, that don't feel that swell about me or, or uh, certain decisions I made or whatever. But I never saw you as that, JP. You know, I I, I, I didn't fear you. Uh, my father taught me, you know, you don't, you don't have to fear any man. You fear God. However, I respected you, right? You know, and that, that's, that's, I respected you. Prior to <clears throat> what was on your call, I respected you. I mean, I, I mean, one of the most physically fit Marines I've ever seen. You know, one of the most. I didn't hear you. I didn't hear you. I what said was that? You, you were one of the most physically fit Marines. I just wanted to hear it again. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> but that that's 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 example you know i have i have humbled a lot in the last few years by the way yeah, man. So you know. uh but that that's example bro like i say man like i it's it's a pleasure you know to look back at those moments man and and realize that hey you you're human sometimes man we put this crazy huge emphasis on the individual based on what's what's here um uh, that's right you know and and that's something i definitely learned as 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 a sergeant major that you know there's certain individuals that uh have been around for a long stinking time and they've seen the ebb and flow of different you know situations in time and in era and and sometimes you know to see that individual say hey uh when i go out here in front of these marines hey you know i i, I don't want to be the guy that looks like i don't know what i'm talking about but hey that's why we're all here because your idea, Clay, right. may be better than mine. So, yeah, all, all of that <clears> said, man, like, 
um, what what was your start, man? Like, what what pushed you to even even join the Marine Corps? You know, I'm proud of you, man. Obviously, for what you've said, what you've accomplished, what you're doing here, and um, it means a lot to me to hear the things that you said. And we both have talked before this this interview, right? How impressive it is for leaders we've had in our life that have admitted their failures as much as their successes, yeah. and we've known people that have stood on a platform and denied that they've made mistakes or poor choices, that they've always done the right thing. And we know that's fake because we're all human. And I think that's why we relate and connect with people like that. And that's what's so important. So this, this whole thing you're doing, I think is a wonderful, a wonderful platform. Thank you. You know, I think you're welcome. I'll be honest with you. I've lied for many years about why I joined the Marine Corps. And I think when I say lie, I mean that lightly, I would always say that I wanted to be part of something larger than myself as the number one priority. But to be honest with you, that's not the reason I enlisted in the Marine Corps. That's one of the reasons. But I think the top priority for me, I grew up, I was born in Metairie, Louisiana. Metairie is right outside of New Orleans. And I grew out, I grew up outside of Baton Rouge and, and, um, I love being from Louisiana. You know, I'm a Cajun at heart, That's right? but I wanted my own vehicle to get out of here and establish myself as my own person. Okay. And I knew at an early age that university and college was not going to be my vehicle because I didn't really do well in that kind of setting during high school. So I set my eyes on the military. I wasn't sure what service yet. Right. right. The Marine Corps and the army were the two that I was looking at. And I knew that's what I wanted to use as my platform to get out of here. Right. Mm-hmm. So Long story short, I was talking to the Marine Corps and talking to the Army. And I was leaning towards the Marine Corps. My father was very supportive of this. Of course, the rest of my family was a little bit nervous and wanted me to stay home, but they were supportive of my own choice. But when the Army recruiter found out that I was leaning towards the Marine Corps, he called my father and said, I want to set up an appointment to meet with you face-to-face with your son. I can't make this up. Wow. He comes to my house. <clears throat> and of course, when he walked in with a short sleeve, army recruiter. Army okay. recruiter. Okay. okay. Yeah. Because he knew I was leaning towards a Marine Corps. Right. So the army recruiter came to try to sell to my father why I should be a soldier mm. and not a Marine. When he got out of his car in his short sleeve shirt and a tie, I already knew I was done with the army. Right. Right. Because I'm not a fan of that uniform. Right. When he walks in, he takes a piece of paper and he draws like 25 circles and he says there are school seats for airborne. And he writes Corville in the last seat and says, if your son joins today, I can get him a school seat in the airborne. Mm. My father's kind of debating back and forth and I'm just listening. My dad keeps telling him, I think my son wants to be one of the uh, few in the proud. He wants to be a Marine. So the army recruiter was a great gentleman. He takes off his glasses. He puts them down. He goes, Mr. Corville, I'll be honest with you. When the Marine Corps fights the army down in Panama for force on force training, they kick our butt every time, (laughs) but it ain't about that. It's about your son's education. Right Right then I knew I was going to be a Marine. And that is exactly why I took the path I had. And that same army recruiter was following me. Even after I swore in before I shipped, he was trying to get me to convert back to being in the army. Wow. So, yeah, that's amazing, man. That's amazing. He admitted he admitted that out loud in front of my father and I. Right. And what I'll never forget that. What year did you come in, JP? Uh nineteen ninety one. Nineteen ninety one. I was and in I'll high school, man. I was in high school. Well, I'll tell you, man, this is something that is not easy for me to admit, especially in a platform like this. Yeah. If it was a coffee table discussion, it's a lot easier. But I don't mind admitting I've had failures in the past. And I've continued to make bad choices or a mistake, or I've had failures, but I've had more successes than failures. Yeah, man. But I originally was supposed to graduate in 1990, but my sophomore year of high school, I failed. Mm. And I failed because I had friends of mine that were getting their GED and going to work to hang sheet metal and they were making money and they were independent. Right. I thought that sounded like the way to go. Right. But my parents were very disciplined and very religious. And I knew that if I tried to quit school, they would kick my butt right. and wouldn't allow it to happen. So I had a, a plan that if I failed, they would just tell me, 
go get your GED. But I was wrong. Right. So I failed 10th grade. They didn't believe that. They put me in summer school and made me repeat the 10th grade. Yeah. So I graduated a year later based on my ridiculous thought and philosophy. Yeah. But I tell you that because if I would have graduated in 1990, I don't know if I would have had a successful Marine Corps career. I think that one year of maturity and materializing after the failure really turned out for my best interest. It's amazing, bro. I mean, you, you know, what, what it sounds like I'm hearing, you, you, you've you used the term failure, man. Like, And we, yeah. we, we've had some discussion about this. Uh, there's people out there right now, JP, that, that, that is failing, man. There's people out there that's made mistakes. I've made them. You've made them. Uh, yeah. But you you mentioned something to me in, in one of our other conversations. It's what everybody has heard. Right. How do you get back up? How, how do you get back up and keep charging forward, man? Can, can you expound on that from your own heart, what, what that means to you, bro? I can. Um, you know, you hear quite often, time heals all wounds or time cures everything. I've come to realize and accept and live this way that it's not time that cures everything. It's what you do with that time. Mm. And if you make a bad choice or if you've made a mistake, which there is a difference between the two, it's not necessarily the situation that got you into adversity. It's how you respond to the adversity that is important. And I used to give that advice to Marines all the time. I gave my own, I had to give my own advice to myself many times. I need you to say it, JP. I need you to say that, that that's the light bulb, please. Light bulb. That's exactly yeah. what it is. Light bulb lessons. That's the light bulb you know? lesson, baby. Yeah. And it stands out. You know, I, I I have a few people that have heard me say this so many times that they would probably vomit right now, but right. I, I, I constantly preach this. We don't learn a lot about ourselves in comfort, even though we try to maintain comfort, a nice house, a nice job, a family. We come and go as we please. We have limited bills. We live minimalistic. But yet when you're in comfort, you don't really learn or grow. Unfortunately, adversity and challenges and problems are how we've all learned and how we've grown. Yes. When I've faced fear or some adverse decision that I made or adverse situation I'm in based on a poor decision I've made or a self-inflicted wound or something that wasn't my own doing, but it was given to me and now I have to deal with it. That's when I've learned the most about who I am. And obviously we know, I think every 10 years, every decade, If you look back, you think, man, I've grown this much. I've changed. Like for me right now, if I could go back to being a first sergeant when you knew me in 2006, I know that I wouldn't agree with myself now back then. There were things that I would do differently now, how I treated people, how I dealt with people, how I incorporated certain things, whether it was as a leader or manager or even as a role model. Right. I've changed and it's all growth. It's because you have failures and successes. The light bulb lesson, man. Man, bro, that's it. That that's that's what that's what starts to get me giddy, man. I start getting real <laughs> giddy when I hear that because yeah, that's it, bro. Like I, I mean, we we all have a life to live. Um, you know, I, I always think back to my my grandmother, man. Like she she's obviously passed today, but um, yeah, she was just that hard, stern, but loving lady man she she walked to church every sunday she would not never allow anyone to give her a ride uh, she walked to the grocery store coming back with bags and and, awesome. and you know that was her message to us like hey you you're going to fall you're, you're right. going to hit roadblocks you're going to stumble you're going to make mistakes but right. how do you stand back up and keep pushing and, and that's something that you know <clears throat> is bestowed in us from the very first moment of standing on those footprints, man, whether it's San Diego or Paris Island, you know, right. those morals and those ideas uh, are locked in, bro. So definitely, you know, uh, pivot to, to this simple question, bro. I see behind you, uh, it says something back there. It looks like it says Appalachian Trail. Um, I found this article of this guy I know who who woke up one morning, uh, sat down with a friend from, from, from some past and, uh, had a great conversation with that individual and that individual rekindled a fire in this individual. Uh, and that individual, JP, is you, bro. I'm in the state of Georgia right now, for those of you that do not know. 
this man started on the Appalachian Trail here in Georgia. Please enlighten us. <clears throat> Every aspect of what you were thinking in those moments leading up sure. to enduring finishing out, man. Well, um, so I've been retired now a decade. This is 10 years that I've been retired from the Marine Corps. Now, after I retired, I happened to get a job as a contractor working overseas in the Middle East for seven years. And I traveled extensively around the world. I'm a big outdoorsman. I went yeah. through a divorce before I retired. So okay. a lot of my therapy and kind of relearning who I am was to be outdoors and be adventurous. Yes. So I've got a lot of stories and a lot of experiences of places I've been. I've been very fortunate, but I've also taken opportunities that were in my arena and just seized the opportunity to travel and do these things. But two years ago, um, when I was working overseas, a bunch of the departments that of the company I worked with and for were closed down due to COVID. And I happened to be in one of those departments. So we were let go. So for the next two years, I literally have traveled and lived like a nomad all around the world and done so many adventurous experiences. And I've been very fortunate. Again, I've used that word blessing, fortunate, and it's true. So I came back to the US and I decided that I wanted to hike the Appalachian Trail. It's a six month journey. It's 2,194 miles. Yes, and I didn't stutter. 2,194 miles from Georgia to Maine on foot, 14 states. And I'll tell you, Tim, when I retired, I retired on June 6th of 2013. That was D-Day, right? The anniversary of D-Day. And right. I tied that into my my speech, right? Talking about adversity, yes. go, go figure. And one of the things that I said, and I tried to live this way the last decade, and I think I have, is I said, today ends my time on active duty, but not my time being active. And that's how I've lived the last 10 years. And so this Appalachian Trail journey was just that, man. It was an epic adventure. It was challenging physically. I was in all the elements. There was miserable moments. There were happy, exciting moments. And it was like going back in time, literally like a cowboy in the Wild West traveling on a journey. And mm -hmm. uh, I started March 27th last year and finished September 27th of oh. 2022. Yeah. And it was everything I hoped it would be and more. <clears throat> Man, hey, hey, that that right there, dog, definitely deserves a hand, bro. Like Appreciate that, that's huge, man. Like Thank you. <clears throat> the one, the one key key word that jumps out to me, man, is is nature, bro. Like I'm, yeah. I'm big on that, JP. I'm really big on yes. being in tune with 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 the spirit realm. Um, I love nature, you know, because yeah. again, man, it, that refreshing aspect of <clears throat> time just being able to sit outside man like you know we spend a lot of time outside as marines man I, I look back at some of them photos and man i was just i was as as dark as this freaking book right here man and, <laughs> wow dog i mean there, there's this picture uh me shaking summer recruits hand that you know kind of went viral throughout the marine corps and, and a lot of the pamphlets recruiters they once they realized that it was me when i was here as a sergeant major they like that they said this is you, Sarmage, but that's not you. He's too he's too dark. And I'm like, hey, idiot. I've lived in the sun out there every day, but but that nature, man, um it, it it that's what I think, man. Like you being out there by yourself, like you said, just that therapeutic aspect. I know reading the article, you said that you took you 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 had a pistol with you, you know, and but then you followed up by saying, but Truth be told, I, I really didn't need it. That's right. And then you, you carried on to saying some of the animals that you saw, and you saw bears specifically, <clears throat> one or two. Seven. Uh, seven bear, seven black bear encounters. Was that was that uh, seven. in the North Carolina area, or was that just stretched all the way out through? No. So they're black bear indigenous to every state on the Appalachian Trail, but I ran into bear in um, five in Virginia, uh, one in New Jersey, and one in – Vermont, I believe. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How how was the help along the way, man? I, I know you had talked about it a little bit in the article, but for those who haven't read it, like what what's your biggest takeaways from just because I, I I have to say this, man. Uh we did a we did a servant leadership, you know, panel 
had, you know, a few, few of our good buddies on there. Uh, and I pulled up a picture of Terry Fox. Uh, Terry Fox was an amputee back in, in, in you know, the 80s. Right. And he, he made the trek from, you know, one side of the country to the other side. Amazing. And I remember seeing that documentary as a, as a young kid and how that, that inspired me, man. But the help that he had along the way, man. Uh, I know Dick Gregory did it too. I didn't know that Dick Gregory had did it, the comedian, but he did it too. So I guess that's my question, man. Like, what what were some of those big takeaways, you know, with, with people you met along the way, man? Yeah, every everyone's experience can be completely different. Um, I did mine mainly solo. I was on my own. Now, when I say that, I met people along the way, had a lot of good friends that I met. But when it came to camping every night, so every seven to 10 days, I would get off the trail in a small town and get a hostel or a hotel room, get cleaned up and take a day off. But for seven to 10 days, I roughly was like camping. I would solo camp or cowboy camp. You do have the opportunity to be at a shelter and camp around a shelter. And what that means is you'd be around other hikers, like in a community at night and people would talk and make friends. I rarely to almost did not do that. I loved being alone. I felt the solitude nature is so healthy it 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 heals so many things and Mm -hmm. that's what i enjoyed um the most about it but i met some extraordinary people man i met people that were so young like 20 and 21 out of college um i met a 25 year old girl or lady who was a physical therapist after college she was working and she decided to move back east from out west and she said i'm gonna hike the appalachian trail first then start my career over and she had never backpacked before. And she just said, I'm going to do it. So people like you and I, I had decades of experience of dealing with issues and adversity and camping and tragedy and motivation right. and inspiration that helped me along the way. She did not. So she's figuring it out as long as she went you know, on the trail. Then I met people that were in their 70s that were fully retired, 75. Mm. And I met an 80-year-old man. I don't know if he finished the entire trail, but he was definitely hiking the majority of it. He hiked all of Pennsylvania. I met him in Pennsylvania, 80 years old, and he gave me some profound advice. I helped him up after we were talking one day, very frail man. And he said, so I turned 50 on the trail, right? 2022 was when I turned 50. And he said, do you know the difference between 50 and 51? And I was like, no, sir. He said, nothing. He goes, do you know what the difference between 80 and 81 is? He's like, death, like that. And he said, I worked my entire life to ensure I had people around me to grow old with, and I've outlived everyone. Now I'm alone. Man, that hit me like a ton of bricks, man. Yeah, I bet, man. Yes, but he, you could tell that he knew that's the cards he had been dealt. And even though he was upset and lonely, there was something joyful about him. And he brought, like, I wasn't really complaining anyway, but that really made me go, I'm not going to complain. And I, I ended up getting hurt pretty severely on the trail. Thank goodness it wasn't something that kept me from continuing, but I had to take seven days off and I snapped my ankle pretty bad and my arm on this bad fall on these rocks and these wet rocks and these boulders. I mean, it was horrible. My ankle swelled up really bad. Disappear. There we go. No, I still see okay. you. Uh, yeah, we're good. Okay. We're good. It, it uh, glitched on my end. But um, that was definitely a light bulb lesson, you know. And yeah, I, I've, I've told this to, I'm sure you have, like your children. Even though we think we've seen it all, like at 50 and then in your 40s, you think you've seen it all. Man, I'm never surprised. We always see something that we don't expect. And even though we've learned a lot, here's a guy telling me that one thing you haven't prepared for or you haven't dealt with yet is losing people you love and you outlive them and how do you deal with that and man that was profound to me that's that's powerful man i mean that just i mean 70 years old man i'm, I'm 80 i'm 40 he was 80. 80 yeah i mean even such i mean that's but again i i think that's 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 that key to life man that key to life is 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 continue to push forward right. you know i i can honestly say too I, t- I, t- I tell my wife this, JP. You, you might think I'm crazy, man, but uh, it's just it's just my my thinking, bro. And the, the older I get, the more 
I really truly appreciate what is happening in the present moment. Yes. The present, bro. Like 100%. I I hear I hear people talk about it. Uh matter of fact, I heard a lady this morning talking about she she stopped her busy day and she played some games with, with you know, her, her daughter. And she was just like, you know, and that's the first time that I've been present in the moment in a long time. That's a powerful um, feeling. Yeah, man, and, and and that's that's that just kind of you know mm-hmm. that 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 aura comes comes to thinking when I think of an eighty year old out there on that trail still pushing forward, putting one yep. foot in front yeah. of the other. I met a uh, I met a seventy, I think he was seventy two year old at a campsite one night at a waterfall, and he had a eagle open anchor on his forearm, and oh, so man. I immediately started talking to him and. He had been a pilot, served eight years and got out. Then he was in law enforcement and retired. And he's 72, Mm. 73, something like that. And even though he had spent eight years in the Marine Corps and he was old enough to be my dad, when he found out after we talked a while, I don't just tell everybody I'm a retired Sergeant Major. I told him I was a Marine and retired. But once we started kind of getting to know each other, he asked me what rank. Once I told him I was a Sergeant Major, He's 73. He wouldn't stop calling me Sergeant Major in the middle of the woods. And I got this big beard. I look like a homeless man. I I found that so uh, polite and intriguing and respectful. And it was just a lot of fun to get to know this guy. Yeah, it's amazing, man. I'm I'm kind of the same way, JP, man. Like, a lot of times I I like the thrill of someone not knowing, you know, and, and, whether I'm in the DMV, the grocery store, whatever, and I'll see somebody's, you know, the representation, Eagle Golden Anchor or Tat, like you said, <clears throat> you know, my wife, she, she's going to stop everybody. Like, she's, hey, you a Marine? Yeah, me and my husband, we're Marines. And then we get to talking, and, you know, and it just goes where it goes. <laughs> but typically, if, I, if I'm alone, uh, sometimes I do. If if it's older, older guys, uh, I love having conversations with, 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 with the elder gentlemen, the Vietnam era type cats, man, because man, they, they, you know, I ask them like, Hey man, you know, how, how long did you serve, sir? Uh, I only did four years or uh, eight years or whatever. What rank were you? Oh, I, w- I was a corporal, but the pride they have <laughs> in talking about serving, it's not even so much for them about rank. It's more so, Man, I served. I'm a Marine. Like, and, and when I go to the VA, same thing, man. You know, I I sit down at that VA and, you know, obviously here in Georgia, you know, you got a lot of Army, uh, you know, uh, soldiers, which that's cool. But every so often you see that Marine yeah, come through there, good. man. And when that Marine comes through, it's like rock. It's a different you story. Know, hey, yeah, simplify. You know, a lot of them will just say simplify <clears throat> Moving, you know, I'd say, so, I tell you yeah. what, with what you're saying, um, our generation, right? Generation X, and I don't like to go down this path a lot of times. However, one thing I've kind of noticed is our generation and prior to, we respected our elders and those that came and went before us, you know, we stand on the shoulders of giants. We say that quite a bit. What I've seen yeah, to have noticed, especially via social media, and maybe not so much people I've known, but in the new generation, the younger crowd, they view people that are older as an iPhone that needs to be replaced. Like, right? right. So instead of giving right. appreciation to the older model, they need an upgrade to the new and current technology, and they look at us different. Here's my example I say. I see it all the time. Like, okay, if you watch interviews with football players – 30 years ago in the NFL or even in college, they refer to their coach as coach. coach now, right, when you watch, right. they refer to their coach by first name or brother. Right. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, right? Because to each his own, I'm comfortable with anybody doing that, but that's where I see the change. It's almost like everybody is on the same level as opposed to giving props to a coach who's put in the year and the time, the effort and, has marinated for a few extra decades than you. Absolutely, man. And and that that I'm glad you 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 mentioned that, JP, because my vision of 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 light bulb lessons is, you know, we talk about 
it can't end, man, the day we leave that uniform. It is just too much leadership uh, experience tapped into one, you know, and, and that's how I love to look at it. I look at it from that standpoint, JP. I look at it from, hey, man, these gentlemen and ladies are, are Hall of Fame leaders, man. Like, they've led at, at what we call the tip of the spear, bro, like, I get it, man. I don't take nothing away from anybody out there because I believe there's leadership in every aspect, you know, and, and my favorite always is going to be Vince Lombardi. And, and Vince Lombardi said, hey, you know, leaders leaders are not born. They're, they're made through, you know, hard yeah. effort and, and sharpening that blade. Um, and that's what I think of with light bulb lessons, man. Like these moments, just being here to be able to share with you, brother. I mean, you're... You're down in Louisiana, man. I mean, I'm here in Georgia, but here we are on on light bulb lessons. Not about you, not about me, just sharing. And the experience that you have, bro, like we, as I've said with many of my other brothers that's been on here, man, like uh, it, it is absolutely it amazing. Is, is. Uh, it, it, it really is. And, and I consider you gentlemen Hall of Fame leaders. I've always said, man, I wish the Marine Corps had, you know, I know we got the Hall of Heroes at DI school, uh, but man, like some, some some of you gentlemen need to be on that bouquet, you know, all across the Marine Corps. Like, hey, these are Hall, these are gold jacket yeah. people. Doesn't matter if they're they're male, <clears throat> female, you know, Hispanic, African American. It doesn't matter, dog. You wore the cloth, you 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 rate, and and that's what I see with the NFL and, and the NBA. And I look, Bill Bill Russell was you know he's iconic to the day That's he right. died recently too right was it last yeah. year yeah, yeah. recently yeah. absolutely so you know i you know when, again man we're, we're retired uh but at the end of the day man if it, if it takes yes. us for this exchange to say hey man this guy right here which which i want to segment to in terms of leadership man we're about 41 minutes in <clears throat> what's your definition of leadership JP, in your own words, what is leadership well, to you? You know, sometimes definitions are difficult, more, more example, but leadership is simply just influence of people to a common goal and accomplish that. Um, you know, one of my, I hate to share pet peeve, but one thing that used to irritate me in the Marine Corps at certain ranks that we obtain on let's say email or in a meeting when they would call everybody a leader on an email, like leaders. And they would, they would, they would put all the sergeants major or all the first sergeants or whatever rank in that group. And I would think to myself, you know, position gives you the authority to lead, but if you're not influencing people, then you aren't a leader. And so if you obtain the rank of, let's say sergeant major, and you have the office of right. the sergeant major, I personally and professionally don't believe that makes you a leader. Now you've done things to get there where you might've exuded leadership skills and talents. But again, if you're not influencing people to a common goal, and I've been a failure at this myself, I'm not trying to stand up here and say that I was always the influence, but I've failed myself. There's been times where I had people that didn't believe in what I was selling and they didn't come to a common goal. And I felt like my influence had been diluted. And then I had to change my style. It's that old adage that we learned when we were young that, you know, you think being a hammer is going to get the mission accomplished, but not every problem is a tool. You have to have different types of tools in your toolbox to deal with that problem. I don't think I even learned that till I was a sergeant with time and grade before my eyes mm -hmm. opened to that. Otherwise, it was always a hammer, hammer, hammer. But the definition for right. me is the ability to influence others to a common goal. It's that simple for me. And, you know, what you said, man, I, I appreciate with, with the gold jacket, the Hall of Famer thing. And to be as humble as I can be, I know that I was an effective leader and that I influenced a great deal of Marines because otherwise, 10 years removed from the Marine Corps, I still talk to a lot of Marines about advice, right. mentorship, you name it. Um, and it goes beyond the Marine Corps, right? But I'm not... Yeah. I'm not cocky enough or arrogant enough to think that I was a Hall of Famer. There's a lot of people that I'm the sum total of so many people I've met or everyone I've met in my life that have turned me into who right. I am. But I, I do appreciate the sentiment. And 
last thing I will say on this, you talked about Vince Lombardi. Have you watched the new Coach Prime, Amazon Prime video that they have with Deion Sanders following him through Jackson State? Oh, man. The, 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 the key notes of leadership and trying to establish a culture and holding people accountable. And then now if you go on social media with Colorado State, I just watched something yesterday where he had everyone in a room and he was telling them how they were going to operate on campus, not on the football field, how they were going to act on campus as leaders. Man, yes. what an incredible man. We're watching this unfold in front of our eyes from a man who was a player that everyone aspired to be to who he is now. Mm-hmm. And his age and his experience are just kind of completely unfolding in front of our eyes to make a better system. I love it. Absolutely. Yeah, you, you, you're, you're spot on, man. I mean, there's not too many people that you can put in a category That's as right. prime. Right, you just can't, man. You know, I I was blessed to see him here with with Eric Thomas um, last year. Uh, he you know he came came with Eric Thomas at one of his events here in Atlanta, and uh, it was right around the time when there was some some back and forth with him and Nick Saban, and it, that 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 was like the aura in the room. Like, okay, what yeah. is he going to say about Nick Saban? Uh, and man, he kept it. Yes, he did. Professional, bro. Like, he he kept it professional. He was like, man, Nick Saban will go down as arguably top three best coaches to ever live in this game. He knows football. And he said, but uh, sometimes, hey, dogs sniff each other's butts. That's what we do. And, uh, you know, then he went into his normal, this prime time vibe. But he talked a lot about God, too, man. He talked a lot about God in his life, and he also talked about he's he got very vulnerable. He said that that primetime didn't know who Deion yeah, right. Sanders was. And he also said that Deion Sanders obviously didn't know who right. primetime was. And he talked about that alter ego, how as he developed, as you you mentioned earlier, JP, as he developed over time, he realized that he had to take these two aspects of himself that that were not looking at each other and blend right. those together and and become prime <clears throat> you know amazing amazing gentleman man but you're yeah. right um spot on with the leadership aspect i think we too, man and you're right no no i think we I'm can sorry? all relate to what you just described with with deon sanders and how he had to merge those two together i said this the other day and i say it often to friends of mine at 25, I think I'd been in the Marine Corps six or going on seven years, which is a long time, my second duty station. And that's yeah. when I can look back and realize that I finally came into my own and I was comfortable with my own skin. That's why I was probably 25 going on 26. So it kind of relates to what you were saying about Dion. Now, being a gentleman from the great state of Louisiana in 1989, I was in high school when he got drafted. And I had to watch him play the Saints twice a year in Atlanta, and it was not fun. And it was not fun. Do you do you classify? Are, oh, are you a Saints on, fan? What an insult! Yes, I mean, that's, that's, that's a, yeah, yeah, that's rhetorical. What 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 do you think about Coach Payton, man? Like, do you think Coach Payton was that that right? Yeah, fit no doubt about it. I mean, time? the way he established the culture and how he handled that draft and the free agency of signing Drew Brees, you know, anyone that's, yes. I don't know, 10 or 15 younger, 10 or 15 years younger than I am, regardless if, if you're from Louisiana or not, the New Orleans Saints were established in 1967. And until 2006, we had one playoff win and maybe two or three appearances that happened later in the 80s under Jim Mora. We were like the Cleveland Browns or New York Jets of the 70s and 80s. And it was an embarrassing place to be and root for. However, the city and the state still cheer for our team. We would be upset. And look, I moved away, not to go into too many details of this. We moved away when I was in elementary school to Houston, Texas for a few years when my dad was in construction and then back to Louisiana. And this is awesome because when I was a kid and we moved to Houston, my favorite running back to this day of all time is Earl Campbell, the Tyler Rose. And he played for the Oilers yes. at the time. Bum yes. Phillips was the coach. Kenny Stabler had come from the Raiders to Houston. When my dad moved us back to Louisiana, 
all three of them went from the Oilers to the Saints. So Earl Campbell, Kenny Stabler, wow. and Bum Phillips were with the New Orleans Saints when we moved back. It felt like they followed us or we followed them. And that was a really unique situation. But, I mean, if I'm lying, I'm dying. I swear on the Bible. Earl Campbell is my favorite running back of all time. Number 34 for Houston, 35 for the Saints. Hey, we talked about personal development earlier. <clears throat> and I mentioned the name oh, Eric yeah. Thomas. Um, so Earl Campbell's son, yeah. Earl Campbell Jr., you know, I, no I had the privilege of meeting him. And, yeah, uh, and and a, and a gentleman, you know, shout out to Earl Campbell Jr. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Earl Campbell. Shout out to ED. Uh, the whole game changes team out there, man. Uh, it's just amazing because he, Earl Campbell Jr., you know, he – he wrote a book. He's got a book out right now. And, and I tell anybody out there, man, go check it out. Uh, Cause he expounds a lot on his life as the child of such a hall of fame gentleman known as his father, right. Earl, Earl Campbell. Uh, and you know, uh, the gentleman that, that helped him write that book, uh, shout out to, to, <clears throat> to Kelly Cole, man, Kelly Cole. Uh, that's what he's doing. It's called books for athletes. Uh, and, and he's getting out and about in, you know, a lot of athletes that, that are no longer playing or whatnot, uh, telling their stories, man. And, uh, so to hear you say that, man, that's huge. Uh, you know, I, I remember Earl Campbell, uh, and, and he, he's in my top, top four. I'll put him in my top four. You know, I, I, I love, I love Warren Moon as well. Um, but for me, it's going to be Barry Sanders. Barry Sanders is, is to me, oh, the, man. the greatest running back. Phenomenal. Phenom him, Dion, oh. and I think Troy Aikman, 89 draft class. And there's somebody else I'm missing. Maybe Derek Thomas. I can't remember right now. But 89 draft class, I think, is by far the best draft class considered in NFL history with all those names that came out of that draft class. And I think Earl Campbell's son, yes. I had seen him on an interview. I might be a little off on this, but he said that he was at an event where Jim Brown was being asked questions and Jim Brown hmm. said that the number one, two, three, four running back of all time is, I think he said Jim Brown himself, Walter Payton, Earl yes. Campbell, and then you can stack whoever yes. you want after that. I can't, I can't argue that one. I, I mean, for me, if if I had, I, I say Barry Sanders is because I've had sure. a lot more time to really, especially now. You see it on the internet; they they break it down to 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 the finite. Um, but then when you go and you look yeah, at Jim yeah. Brown, JP, you go and you look at 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 the sweetness, Walter Payton. You go and you look at Earl Campbell, and you see the difference oh, in their style of running back. Oh man, dog. When you see Earl Campbell chills. pile drive, you go watch his highlights. There's one famous play where he's playing yeah. I, I think they were the Los Angeles Rams at the time, and he lowers his helmet, hits the dude in the chest and knocks him down and rolls down the the, the lane and he's got four defenders ripping his jersey off of him. You know, the difference though back then, they yes. didn't they didn't hold the ball like they do today because you have too many defenders chopping the uh, ball. They palmed the ball too much back then where they right. easily could get it taken away today. But let me go back to Barry Sanders. I think this is an important thing. So I'm not that big of a man. Yes. I mean, I, I train myself and, and work out and, and transition my physique at an early age because I wanted more confidence, like a body of armor. But I'm only 5'10", maybe 5'9 now as I've aged. Barry Sanders... And I'm going to throw Drew Brees in this category and even Russell Wilson, even though Russell Wilson didn't perform that well this year. I love anyone that is undersized for a position that they play and they, they overachieve. And those three specifically yes. at their size, man, they just broke boundaries and exceeded expectations. And, and that makes someone like right. me look at that and go, wow, you know, anyone can do more than what's expected. Your size and your height, your weight, you know, it's not going to, you know, determine who you are. Right. That's, that's true, man. That's, that's a, that, that's, that's an amazing core of gentlemen you just said. And, and, and I, while I was at Chapel Hill, um, 
working as an MOI with, with JJ oh, Ragland. Man, I know Rags real well. I got Ragland. some stories of Ragland. Yes, old JJ Ragland, man. And I was down at NC State visiting him. We got some training down there, and um, he took me to the Wolfpack <laughs> Lounge. You know, right across from where the where the all TC uh, you know students housed and. It's packed in there. Students everywhere. It's rush hour. You know, everybody's in there getting <laughs> Chick-fil-A or whatever. And uh, we, we we get our child, JP, and um, we we go, we sit down at the table. Rags puts his 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 child down and, and, and he leaves. And this guy walks up and says, hey, uh, excuse me, do, do you mind if I sit here with you gentlemen? And I was like, yeah, man, sure. You know, it's a big table. Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so... <clears throat> I get up and I go get my drink and I told JJ Rag, I said, Hey man, uh, that dude asked, could he sit at the table with us? And we were in uniform. Um, he said, man, you know who that is? I said, nah, dog. He just said he wanted to sit down and eat at our table. He said, dog, that's Russell Wilson, dog. That's, that's, that's the quarterback for NC state. And man, when I tell you JP, uh, we went to sit down with this guy. Like you said, man, horrible season. Right. Hey, sometimes we have them. Sometimes right. no, sometimes it rains. I get it. Um, but man, I tell you, when I tell you, man, uh, you know, a light bulb blessing, great experience, great moment was sitting at that table with Russell Wilson. And at the time, you know, they had just played Chapel Hill. He flamed Chapel Hill. And I remember yeah, right. just like, man, who is this quarterback guy? Uh, he transferred from Wisconsin or is about to transfer to Wisconsin, whichever way he went. I know he transferred into right. playing for Wisconsin too, I think, but uh, he torched UNC and just, you know, all, all in all, man, he, he told us out of his own mouth, had I, had it not been for football, I would wow. have joined the United States Marine Corps. He said that out of his mouth. And obviously, you know, we're like, man, that's, that's amazing. So, you know, just again, when I, when I look at the parallels, uh, JP of 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 these these sports greats, um, no doubt about it. There's a lot of us too, bro. Yeah, we was, you know was, I didn't know yeah. a lot of detail about football, man. When I graduated high school, even though I had played in junior high and some of high school, like freshman year, I was a very shy kid. So I really wasn't in my comfort zone at that point. Um, but when I joined the Marine Corps and I was in the infantry, a lot of our commanders would teach us football tactics to relate to infantry squad. And platoon tactics and once i started understanding those concepts mm -hmm. i would watch football differently when there was a play action pass i would be like hey there was a deception here and a frontal attack and having someone with fire support and i would connect it all to maneuver warfare and once i started doing that i started right. learning and enjoying football even more and became more of a fan because let's face it when i played i knew we had to get the ball to the end zone if i blocked Sometimes I would block in the wrong direction because I was just trying to push the guy out of the way and I pushed him into the running back. You know, all these things that I really didn't understand. Yes. Um, but look, man, back to Ragman, I, I, I know he would back this story up. So when I was a contractor in uh, the United Arab Emirates, right, we had Marines that would come out there for mm -hmm. one year and do a tour for one year. And Ragland was on that tour and we had Marines out there. And like I mentioned earlier, I traveled a lot and went outdoors quite a bit. And they had asked me if they could come out on one of my weekend adventures. So I took them into the country of Oman, which I frequently went and camped and mm. hiked and did a lot of adventures out there. It was so different than the United Arab Emirates. Anyway, long story short, kind of a leadership lesson. Right. We all sat around a campfire one night and I started the conversation. I said, let's go around the table and or not the table around the fire pit and tell me something about you that none of us know and there was like six or seven of us out there mm. i was the only civilian they were all marines active duty and man we learned so much about each other including with raglan man there were things that we all shared that the next time we saw each other at work we all had a different appreciation just from a weekend together from sharing those moments and i learned that right. as an active duty marine when you'd have like a guided discussion or you'd have a one-on-one -on -one with someone or you'd have a group discussion with a few people that you were trying to get to understand who they were and their being you know yeah right man jj rag man. man you know i've had a few episodes yes yes few few episodes where his name comes up 
I will say though, oh, a man. few of the Marines that I took on that trip tapped out on a hike I took them on, so I had to change the plan. I won't mention names, but okay, yeah, hey, we'll let that stay out there, bro. Back, yeah. back me up on that you know story. Who they are, you know. Yeah, they know who they are.